This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey friends, and welcome to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica Anderson. I'm a Christian freelance writer, mom of two littles, and I'm passionate about helping you live out your best and deepest faith in everyday life. On this podcast, you'll hear from inspiring women, moms, and ministry leaders, authors, and more. Those on mission for God with a message to inspire you in your Christian walk, wherever that may be. Each month, I send out interviews, tips, book reviews, and exclusive giveaways to my email list. If you'd like to receive these things, just head to my website, ericaanderson.com, and sign up. My new book, Reason to Return, Why Women Need the Church and the Church Needs Women, comes out this January, and I want you to be the first to know all the details. Enjoy the show. Well, hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Worth Your Time podcast. I'm your host, Erica, and today I'm speaking with Jennifer Lull, who is the founder and president of the Center for Bioethics and Culture Network. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so I would love to hear if you could just give us a little bit of an explanation of what is the center and what is sort of your background and how you founded it. Uh-huh. Well, my ba- I'll start with my background because that's kind of moves into the center and how I founded it. So I, w- I was in clinical nursing for 20 years. So I have a bachelor's degree in nursing and I predominantly worked in the uh, space of pediatric critical care. So the pediatric intensive care units. And then my last big nursing career was in hospital management at Children's Hospital in Oakland, California. So I have a keen interest in medical ethics and bioethics and a, a real keen interest in new emergency emerging technologies. Um, Because, you know, most of my clinical nursing was at big university teaching hospitals, University of California, San Francisco, University of California, Los Angeles, Children's in Oakland, which are, you know, really academic. We're we're always the ones that are pushing the edge. We're on the the cusp of the new, the next big thing. Um, But I am a strong parent patient advocate. So I always wanted to make sure that parents had, um, access to all possible information because they're the ones that ultimately have to make decisions for their children who are minors and can't make decisions. And then the parents are the ones that have to go home and live with their decisions. So I was very interested in ethics. And and then I pursued a graduate degree in, in bioethics, not imagining I would be doing this work. But when I was in graduate school, I just got this, you know, vision, passion to start a nonprofit because I, in graduate school, I was learning about what's coming down the pike, you know, human cloning, genetic engineering, gene editing in children, um, making babies and gestating them in artificial wombs. So all those new technologies. And because I am in the San Francisco Bay Area, I like to say I live in this backyard of the Silicon Valley, which is a place that's all incubating a lot of these new ideas. So it was in graduate school that I decided to found the nonprofit. And we're an educational nonprofit. And we um, work in the space of, you know, the ethics around these emerging technologies. And we try to build um, conversation because I I say that the average person in America is a stakeholder in, Mm -hmm. you know, these new technologies and whether we accept them or reject them or regulate them. And so um, through the work that we do at the center, we make documentary films 
we testify at legislative hearings, we write, speak, um, you know, we're resources for lots of other think tanks that want to tap our, our brain, our brain chest, if you will, of information mm-hmm. in this really kind of, it's, it's a niche space. And when I, when I founded the organization, you know, most, it, this was 22 years ago, and nobody even knew what bioethics was or cloning or surrogacy or egg donating. I mean, there was this like people were like, like, well, you do what? But now it's become very mainstream. You know, you, can, you can't go to the grocery store without seeing on the cover of People magazine some new movie star had a baby through surrogacy or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. So that's what we do. Yeah. It seems like the term, even the term ethics, isn't something that the average person even thinks about, or at least in this culture, like even really knows what does that even mean, you know? And so certainly uh, when it comes to what people are most familiar with is, which is like certain forms of IVF and stuff like that, that is, doesn't seem to be something that ever comes into the conversation, like these personal ethics. I've always said that my experience with IVF, like that's not something that they brought into the conversation at all, of course, because it's a business. And um, so it's really important to be having these conversations now, especially. And and I did see you've done so many documentary films. How did you get into that as the medium for uh, getting your message across? Because that's a very powerful way to do it. Yeah, we have a new film coming out in just a few weeks. So I'm like burning the midnight oil, just trying to get that onto the big screen. Yeah, it was a couple of things happened. One was I was busy trying to get a book published and, you know, you, you've written, you know, and it's hard to get books published because books unfortunately don't sell <laughs> unless you're some, unless you're like JK Rowling or, you know, yeah. some name. I mean, publishers aren't just like beating down your door to, to get your manuscript and to bring your, your book, your words to the market. Um, and, and like it or not, you know, we're just not a reading culture. You know, you see now you log into your newsfeed and it will, at the very beginning, it'll say three minute read time. Like, please read it. It will only cost you three minutes of your life. You know, we have to kind of beg people by telling them upfront how long it's going to right. take. So my, my colleague, who's just a dear friend, he's a, a physician, academic doctor at Stanford. He just said, oh, people don't read books. You should make movies. And I thought, well, I've never made a movie in my life. You know, I'm like, oh, and I'm on my way on a plane to go testify at a hearing in Kansas on a piece of legislation that was around the ethics of buying and selling eggs. And I already knew this young woman named Alexandra. Um, she was an egg donor at the University of Kansas doing her PhD, um, was in debt, needed money, saw an ad, answered, you know, answered the ad to sell her eggs in Kansas. And, she, you know, you can watch the film, Exploitation, it's free on our YouTube channel. And she had serious, serious short-term health consequences and then went on and had serious longer-term, late-term mm consequences of that decision. So I reached out to her. She was at the time living in San Francisco, close to me. And I said, why not, would you be willing to come? You know, I'll, I'll fly you, I'll bring you. Um, because maybe people in Kansas will listen to you because this happened in their state at one of their universities. And we went and we testified at the hearing, she and I together, very dismissive. The lawmakers were like, oh, we're really sorry that happened to you. But, you know, most of the time that doesn't happen. You know, it's unfortunate, but we're going to we're going to do what we wanted to. And we were flying back. And I just looked at her and I said, if I made a movie, would you sit down with me and let me interview you? 
And she said, sure. And then I knew Caleb Papademus, who sold her eggs at Stanford, suffered a massive stroke, lost her mm. fertility. I knew another young woman in Southern California who was a medical student at the time. She sold her eggs, almost died, you know, almost lost her life. And I reached out to those three women and they all agreed. And so in a weekend, in literally on a Saturday and a Sunday, I shot all the interviews. And four weeks later, we had the film done. And wow. then we, <laughs> we went on and we ran, we, um, we won the best documentary film that year at the California Independent Film Festival. That's amazing. And I kind of, I kept reading the, the notice that came from the festival. I'm like, it says we won. Did I read this one? <laughs> like, I had no idea I had this in me. <laughs> I mean, I, I read it and then I passed it to the people that helped me make the film. I said, read this. What does it say? And they're like, we won. And so that just sort of, and, and we just, and that film has, I mean, we still sell it. And it's, you know, it was our first film. So it's many years old now. And we had, we actually updated it and revised it a few years later um, because more and more women had come out of the woodwork seeing that film, wanting to tell their stories about how they were harmed. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's talk about that issue specifically. So you're talking about egg donation and, you know, you're talking about women on college campuses are say getting ads on maybe Facebook, who knows wherever online, like, Hey, you know, sell your eggs for, I don't even know how much they're paying for them now. Like, what is it like $10,000 or something? It depends. Like if you're at Stanford or Ivy league, you know, you can get 15, 20, $25,000, you know, yeah. And so uh, profile, these women are profiled. <laughs> yeah. It's not like you're going to get this ad if you're a 50 year old guy, <laughs> you know? So, so they're pro they're uh, yeah, they're targeting these women to donate their eggs. And and some people may be like, well, what's the big deal? Like whatever people, you know, so talk to us about why that is a big deal. <laughs> why it's yeah. not a good thing. Um, well, many reasons why. One is, for one, they're not donating. We use the language donation mm, so as true. if they're doing a char- charitable act. And they are not donating. The only reason they're doing this is because they're being paid. And when right. you look outside of the United States, there's plenty of countries where you cannot buy and sell eggs. You know, so like Germany, you cannot buy and sell human eggs in Germany. China, you cannot. So they come here where we, you know, the capitalistic U.S. where you can buy, you can buy just anything if you have the money. Right. So the language is deceptive. Um, if you take the money out of this, and you ask women to do this for free, like we do with organ donors, they're overwhelmingly not going to do it, right? Because yeah, because why? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're you're on these powerful fertility drugs for many, many weeks. You undergo a surgical procedure that has all the risks of a regular surgical pr- procedure. Plus, you have the risks of these powerful hormones in your body. Now, you know, we can talk separately about IVF for the woman who's struggling with infertility. But when you think of the egg donor, donor in quotes, um, <laughs> She's not a patient, right? There's absolutely nothing wrong with her body. So she's taking very powerful drugs, going to undergo a medical surgical procedure, which she has no medical need for. I mean, where else is in medicine does it really happen that one, people are being paid to do these kind of things, and two, they have no medical need to do these kind of things. Um, and then the dirty little secret around the, the young woman who's not the patient, we've never studied what happens when you take otherwise healthy women and put them on very high dose, powerful hormones. Um, You know, we know short term that there's this thing called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, which can be life-threatening. It can cause strokes. Like two of the women in exploitation 
had strokes, massive strokes. Um, it can cause, you know, torsioned ovaries. The woman from Kansas, she had a torsioned ovary, which is where the fallopian tube gets kinked like mm. a garden hose. For So for about a week after her surgery, that was not picked up. And she just was in excruciating pain. And she had to go back for emergency surgery to have that ovary removed because it had since died because it wasn't getting any blood supply while that fallopian tube was, was torsioned. And that comes from all the swelling. These women, when you when you go in their little egg donor chat rooms, they talk about looking like they're nine months pregnant. They can't fall because they're so swollen because the ovaries get so big and they're intentionally aggressively stimulated because you're paying for eggs and you don't want one. Right. You know, or 10 or 20 or 30 or 40. So there's all those. And then there's the, the un, unknowns because we've never studied what happens when you do this to otherwise healthy women who don't have, you know, um, something wrong with their fertility. They're, they're, they're fertile. That's why they're selected. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't know. So, you know, one of our films, Maggie's story is one short <clears throat> documentary and Maggie sold her eggs 10 times. And then as a very young woman was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. Um, my colleagues and I published in the medical literature, a case report of five otherwise healthy young women who as young women, we don't normally get breast cancer as young women, and they develop breast cancer as young women, and they were all um, egg donors, egg sellers. Mm. Um, and so we weren't saying there was a, a direct causation, but we were saying, isn't it funny? Because egg donors, of course, are screened out. If you have a history of breast cancer, nobody wants your eggs, right? They're right, not, right. You're not going to buy a young woman's eggs who checks, yes, I have a history of breast cancer in my family. In fact, if you check any kind of cancer history or any kind of health problems, you're not selected. They want healthy, healthy young women whose eggs mm. are going to be healthy that will then make healthy babies. So, you know, just the corruption of money and the whole informed consent. You know, we know that it, informed consent is corrupted when somebody needs the money. They'll say, yeah, I'll, right. take, I'll take the chance because I've got rent to pay. Um, right, permission to pay, which is That's why we a lot we of money. I mean, it's a and lot we don't of money. pay organ organ donors for that very reason. We know it will be the people who need money that will be selling their organs, and it will be right. the who need the organs that will be buying. So that equity is a big a big problem. Yeah, I mean. Talk about something that seems like the definition of unethical. That's it right there. Um, the other thing that uh, sort of comes into play here, I mean, I guess this this does directly relate to surrogacy because obviously the people that are using these eggs are in some, you know, using, maybe using a surrogate. They could also be using it in their own body, of course. Um, but when it, when we start talking about that, um, there were some stories that came out during COVID of people that had used surrogates and surrogate eggs. And I, I don't know the exact details, but there were like babies born during COVID that like essentially became orphaned or were never be able to be united with their families or their families um, because of COVID. And there's like this whole industry of surrogacy happening in congruency with this exploitation stuff that you're talking about. Can you talk a little bit about that side of things? Yeah. Well, first, the problem is, is that we don't have a a world that has the same laws. So that naturally encourages, if you will, the reproductive tourism. So like I said, all of this is illegal in China. So the Chinese come to America to buy eggs, to rent wombs so they can have children. Um, The market shifts based on economy. 
So once the global South really cracked down on commercial surrogacy, places like India, Thailand, Singapore, they really cracked down because they saw women exploited. They saw babies abandoned because they were born with you know, Down syndrome or whatever. Um, then the market shifted to Ukraine. You know, because you could still get cheap labor, you know, labor, it's kind of a pun, yeah. you know, because they're women. Yeah. Go. And so there's that, you know, the, the fact that the laws encourage this travel, the fact that once once one country's laws change, you know, another con- country sort of becomes a, the destination. And then, you know, people come to California that aren't looking for a bargain. So like the, the Chinese who come often to California for surrogacy and a, a purchasing, you know, they're incredibly wealthy. So they don't want to go to Ukraine mm-hmm. and, and have to deal with, you know, a country that maybe has corruption or, or a lot of poverty um, or deception or any of that. And, and California is very friendly legally to international people coming here. So all of that just sort of adds complexity to how this it's, you know, it's like playing whack-a-mole, you know, one, one country, cracks down and another country pops open or, you know, another state in the United States become more permissive, like, you know, during the COVID pandemic, um, Governor Cuomo at the time legalized commercial surrogacy in New York state, because up until Mm -hmm. then, altruistic surrogacy was permitted, like women could just do it because they're nice. But, you know, they, they were complaining that there weren't women willing to be pregnant for nine months just because they were nice people. (laughs) They wanted to be paid. (laughs) So it's this, yeah, it's a challenge. Um, so in your, in your thoughts, like you cover a lot of issues at your center, what do you think is the most concerning right now? Well, um, you know, we have, we have uh, over a year ago, we've released our newest film, which is called transmission. What's the rush to reassign gender, which Mm -hmm. was our first sort of dipping our toe into the transgender debate. And we did that because it, it impacts our lane as it relates to reproductive technology because young children before they either block their puberty or they go on cross sex hormones, wrong sex hormones are asked, do they want to preserve their fertility? So young Mm -hmm. children are being offered, do you want to freeze and bank your sperm, freeze and bank your eggs so that once you transition to the other sex. So once you become a man and you grow up and you want children, you can go back to the egg bank and get your eggs from when you're a female. (laughs) Um, and so I think, and then, and then the newest wrinkle for us, and I was on two different calls yesterday with people in Washington, DC is in light of the Dobbs ruling on Roe versus Wade. Uh, I am, I'm just imagining that there's going to be a lot of scrambling around infertility, fertility medicine, as it relates to making babies. And, you know, we already have, I don't like it, but we already have the strong language around reproductive rights. Um, that we have reproductive rights. And in my space, reproductive rights means, and I don't agree with this, but it means here's a gay couple. And because they're gay, they have a right to hire a woman for her uterus. They have a right to buy eggs from another woman so that they can have a right to build a family. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, we have a million plus frozen human embryos in the United States from IVF. So what is what what are we going to do legislatively with that in light of this Dobbs ruling? And I just think it's going to be 50 more years of a 50 50 state battle. You know, with yeah. blue states doing one thing and red states doing another, and some states not doing anything. 
So I think that's going to keep us pretty busy in what does a post-Roe world look like. And our organization is not involved on the abortion debate at all because that's not a new technology. You know, it's, right. it's been around for forever. Um, whatever your views on that, it's not something new. So we have never weighed into, the only time we even mention abortion is when we talk about surrogates and abortion clauses are always, well, I should, you never say always, right? Because then somebody finds mm-hmm. one. Almost always the contracts these women sign include language that says that they will agree to a termination or a reduction. So if they're pregnant with triplets and the intended parents want them to reduce the pregnancy down or terminate. So that's the only time that we get into, we wade into the the abortion. But I do think in light of a post um, row world, we're going to see a lot more activity at our center around what does this mean for assisted reproductive technology? Yeah, I was just something I wrote recently. I said something like, you know, the same people that are offering you rent a womb services are the ones that will come in and say, oh, here, let me do selective reduction um, on your, you know, the triplets that you're carrying. And it's just like, oh my gosh, just the, the way that they devalue the human body and human life in all of these circumstances is just, it's hard to even stomach really mm-hmm. um, how they're doing that. And um, uh, what was I going to say here? Um, sorry, I had a question and no, I'm trying to find it. Um, oh, you know what? I, do you guys ever talk about, you know, 23 and me has been a big yeah. thing. Uh, yeah. you know, I just recently watched that documentary about the doctor in Indiana that <laughs> impregnated his Was it our father. Was that yeah. And actually I live right. I live in this town and I, I know yeah. two people that have been, uh, were treated by him. Luckily not in that way. Um, <laughs> Yeah, scary. Um, And so how does that I don't know, like, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. But it's like, that's a whole other world where people are now able to, like, regardless of where your egg came from, now you're you're gonna be able to go find that person. And how does that play into all of this? Yeah, we do. Because again, it's part of the assisted reproductive technology space. So when we released exploitation, you know, that was just kind of like, oh, we made a film. I was not imagining that we were, you know, I think this new film coming out is going to be our ninth film. You know, I wasn't imagining with, we were going to keep making movies, but as soon as exploitation came out, literally I started hearing from what they call the donor conceived. And mm. they asked, I mean, I had people emailing saying, please make a movie about us, make a movie, tell our story. So oh, we wow. made anonymous, anonymous Father's Day. Again, you can watch it for free on our YouTube channel where we sat down and interviewed all different kinds of, um, people created through sperm donation because overwhelmingly the older people um, are here because of sperm donation, anonymous. Sperm right, donation. right, right, right. So egg donation came in later, like, you know, low tech sperm donation has been around for forever. When I was yeah. a staff nurse at UC San Francisco, you know, the lesbian nurses were getting sperm from the gay man and going home and artificially inseminating themselves to make babies. You know, it's low <laughs> That's tech. That's a low cost way. <laughs> So, so we did make a, a film. Um, we didn't interview um, people created through egg donation because at that point I didn't know any. Um, and if they were out there, they were sp- probably still children. I have a, a, a bright line. I don't interview children for the films mm-hmm. that I make. Um, so, so yeah, we do. And, you know, we work in that space of the whole space is called third party conception. So you're using a third party, either you're buying eggs, buying sperm, renting a womb or any combination. So, you know, gay men always buy eggs from one woman and rent a womb from another. Um, so they're 
they're doing you know two of those three parts. So so we did release Anonymous Father's Day. Then we went on and made two films on surrogacy. Um, and then we made Maggie's story, which is a short on the woman who sold her eggs 10, 10 times. And mm. so, yeah, so we have a, we're, I would say our organization is very comfortable saying we do not support third party conception. Um, in terms of the anonymous Father's Day folks, what would be like one of the biggest takeaways that people might get from that? Because people, you know, I think people aren't thinking about this. They're just like, oh yeah, well, you know, it's a sperm donor, but your mom has you. And then you grow up with your parents and like, who cares about that? But what, that's one thing, like listening to you on another podcast, I started to recognize was that um, like, we all want to know where we come from and yeah. who we are and who we look like. It doesn't matter how great of a family you have. Cause even, you know, adoptees, they say, there's trauma. I don't, you know, I have a friend who was adopted as a newborn and she had a wonderful family, but she was like, there's still trauma there. I don't know. I didn't know who I was. Yeah. And it's like, people aren't realizing you're creating trauma where there wasn't any with this. And so what were some of the things people said? Yeah. I mean, I was surprised because even if we were show, you know, this was way before COVID. So we were doing a lot of in-person screenings, you know, on campuses and universities or in places where we were invited to come and show the film. And I was really taken aback by how little regard audiences had for these, these now young, young adults or grown up people. Um, because it was like you say, so what? I know, I know who my dad was and he was a bum you know, or, right. or, or I was adopted and they were great. And I don't, you know, there's a lot of adopted people who don't have any desire to find out who they, who they came from. But so I was, I was really kind of not expecting that kind of a, of a reaction, but then I thought, well, we live in a society that really doesn't value children. Um, mm. You know, we're, we're not really a society that's um, hospitable to children, whether you look at you know, what happened during the COVID lockdowns and how kids were just shoved in home and stuck on computers or, or you see what's happening with different types of education being taught and parents basically being told you're horrible parents and you have no say on what teachers teach, you know, <laughs> and this sort of the rights and the rights of children. And, you know, when you look at other societies that really have maybe more of a value for children and the sort of the whole fam nuclear family unit and of that is a, a big part of that is children. Uh, I kind of went, well, yeah, we don't really, we don't really uh, value because when I look at the space that I work in overwhelmingly, it's, I can't have a baby. I want a baby. I deserve a baby. I have a right to a baby. I have money. I have technology. I've all, so it's, it's more me focused, you know, what do yeah. I want and what, what do I need? Not what's in the best interest of this child. So that mm -hmm. was really unfor unfortunate. And I know that, um, you know, people who work on the inside that are pushing back and a little bit critical of adoption as an industry and third-party conception as another industry, you know, they, they struggle because a lot of times people are uncomfortable hearing those messages, that there is trauma, there is pain. It's not saying that the people who raise me are horrible people, but still it's, you know, a big, a big part of who I am. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, so much like a messaging thing that it's not out there. I mean, that's why I wanted to talk to you because I, people aren't talking about it. It's like, Oh, here's this like miracle way to do, but it's like, no, it's, if it sounds too good to be true, then it is. There's something, you know, there's things that you have to be aware of and people aren't talking about it. And when you are doing this stuff, like I said before, it's a business. And so people don't want to uh, deter you from doing it. That's what I always say about my 
IVF experience is that like, had they started bringing up some of the things like, oh, you know, you could have this many extra embryos, that kind of stuff. Like no one ever talked to me about that. No one ever said, you'll have to decide what to do with those. Um, that was never, you know, even a concern of these people. And I'm like, no, that's something that should be brought up. People deserve to have those conversations and have all the knowledge and education um, that comes with it. And so I am a huge advocate of getting this stuff out there. So people are just talking about it. Um, yeah. And that's been the experience that I've had from being on Ali Best show. I've been on it three times. There's just, I mean, I, every time I do her show, I kind of joke and go, I'm going to spend the next week answering all the private messages <laughs> that come in because yeah. overwhelmingly probably your audience too, it's predominantly women. Mm-hmm. And there, the, there's kind of these themes. One, one theme is I've always felt uneasy about this, but I never had the words or knew why. Right. Now you've helped me understand why I've sort of in my, in my gut felt like this isn't okay. Or people going, I had no idea. They were just clueless. They just thought, you know, this is great. People who can't have babies yeah. can now have babies. It's like, yeah. yay. Um, and then there's the people that, you know, have their personal stories that want, you know, like individual, what should my husband and I do? You know, we, we didn't, we did do this. We've got 10 leftover frozen embryos. We're, we're done having our children. What should we, you know, now that we have this new information, how do we handle this or, or, or everything in between, you know, people that are just in the thick of trying to get a proper diagnosis, trying to find out why they can't have children. So, um, yeah. and it's, you know, it's unfortunate that we haven't, um, whether it be in, in our schools, whether it be in our churches, you know, we, ha- you know, I mean, we, we are so ignorant of our bodies and our reproductive bodies when mm-hmm. you would think, you know, we spend so much time on our bodies in America, you know, we're at the gym and we're at the nail salon and we're at the hair salon and we're, you know, eating this kind of food because it's good for us. And we're just, but then you, when you come to our fertility, we're just like women, uh, maybe men too, but I work mostly, I interface mostly with women. It's just like, yeah. we've not done a good, we've done a disservice um, in raising our daughters, raising our sons, you know, I mean, my kids, bless their hearts. They've been with me for all these years. I used to joke that my, my young son knows more about the woman's fertility cycle than <laughs> most women do. <laughs> That's funny. Well, you know, I think, you guys, I think, talked about this on Ali's show, just about how even like the pro-life community has been very silent on all of this for so long, um, because I think you said it, they love babies, they love making babies. And we do, you know, we do love that. And people don't want to speak out because they know people that struggle with infertility, they feel bad, they know people that have done it are doing it. But what I found in conversations with people is that like you said, people have no idea. When I explained the IVF process to people, they were like, oh, I didn't know that. And so yeah. people are very uneducated about it. And I do think there's a little bit of a tide turning in the pro-life world. I mean, I I am one of those people because I didn't want to use to talk about it um, for some of those reasons. And then having gone through IVF myself, I felt like kind of a hypocrite. But now I feel like I've learned and I've been exposed to so many, um, so many more like ethical reasons why certain not not that IVF in and of itself is wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But, um, you know, there are ways to go about it and things that we need to consider if we are going to go that route. Um, And and so I've been writing about it, like I said, in World Magazine. And I have heard from people that appreciate that. And so hopefully, like what you're doing, what I'm doing, that we're 
like generating this conversation in a wider way. Okay, I have one one last thing I wanted to ask you. Um, so I was looking, you know, you guys are also working on some things we haven't really talked about, but like I see human cloning, transhumanism, CRISPR technology. And I was like, I don't even know what she's talking about, you know? <laughs> so um, how, like, how scared should we be of this stuff right now? I mean, human cloning, is that gonna happen? Oh, uh, I think, probably already has happened, you know, wink, wink in, in other countries. Um, oh, you know, what, what hasn't happened though, is we're not like cloning human beings and, and they're coming to birth and walking around on the planet, but right. you know, the, the cloning on the human embryos is being done in laboratories to, to, to learn uh, as a scientific, oh. um, you know, I think what will happen is then we'll clone and then we'll be able to, you know, harvest little little like liver cells and little kidney oh. cells and generate, you know, um, you know, organs and artificial wombs are coming, you know, they're already gestating animals in artificial wombs. So it's just a matter of time. I think before we're gestating human babies in, in artificial wombs are working on making synthetic egg and sperm, which will on one hand, you'll go, well, that's great because we won't be harming young women for their, their eggs. But then we're going to be making humans with like synthetic fake parts. And what, how what is that, that even possible? Yeah, I know it's just so you know those are the kind of things that kind of sometimes can lead me to sleepless nights. That but is I don't like want to say that you know I live I live in a you know a constant state of fear, but I do, but I do see that you know we have the the ethics now is if we can do it we should do it. Because hmm. all science and all progress is good. And, you know, I'm of the mind that science is good, progress is good, but not all of it. And that there needs to be guardrails, there needs to be breaks, there needs to be exit ramps, there needs to be bright lines that we will do this, but we will never do that. Um, so, again, that, that's kind of why we do what we do is so we can be that sort of hmm. voice saying, you know, what are these, un, you know, yeah. we never thought, we never thought when we entered into this IVF technology that we'd be here on August 23rd with over a million frozen human embryos in the United States alone, you know, and those are the kind of unintended consequences when nobody's thinking about what's this all going to look like Yeah, um, that we're now in this, you know, what do we do with these? Most of them have been abandoned people, or people mm -hmm. are just paying an annual monthly storage, keep them frozen, you know, fee. So, yeah. What can people be doing? I mean, what's the best thing for listeners to do if they're like, this is matters and I don't know what to do? You know, I never like to tell people what to do because we all have different passions and different gifts and strengths. Um, so I always encourage people to play to their own strengths and passions. So some people want to go to our YouTube channel and just devour information, you know, because they want to get educated. That's that's great get educated. Some people love to write letters to their, their congressman or letters to the local newspaper that's, you know, because something's happening in their backyard with, you know, a new piece of legislation that's going to impact, you know, medicine or healthcare or some of these issues. Um, you know, some people are, you know, in small groups. I would say, you know, get all your girlfriends over, watch one of our movies and talk about it. We have a study guide for free on our website that goes with all of our films, you know, questions to ask, things to think about, because some people like to be in, you know, like little small groups and, and just use, use our resources in a, in a group setting. So really it's, it's kind of, you know, it just depends on the individual and what they, after they hear me speak, what, what is prompted in their heart to do. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. No, I started, I started clicking around on your videos and I'm definitely going to go finish watching those, all of them. Actually, they all just sound fascinating. Now tell us about the new one um, and, and yeah. what to look for. So the new one is coming out on September 19th next month. And the trail, the official trailer is on our YouTube channel, which is the center for bioethics and culture network. Um, and it's called the Detransition diaries, saving our sisters. And it, it's a, um, in, a documentary where we sit down with three young women who thought they were born in the wrong body, who had gender dysphoria, thought that if they transitioned to being men, that would solve all their problems. Um, And it's their story of how they found found their way back and realized that this didn't fix what was bothering them. Um, And now they live just depending on how far they went down that rabbit hole. You know, one woman had the double mastectomy, Um, you know, they all took testosterone. So they have, you know, the the long-term impact of taking testosterone in a female body. Um, So I'm really excited about the early reviews are coming back in and people are like, it made me cry. I love this Mm. film. It's a must see, you know, so I'm really excited about it. Um, Can't can't wait to get it out there. That's yeah. That's obviously also really important issue that we need to be talking about. So, well, Jennifer, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate your work and um, I will just keep an eye on everything you guys are doing. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys. You know, a pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys. You know?